Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of America's Game. I am one of your hosts, Eric Vanek, and I'm going to introduce my co-host here in a moment. But uh, first, what is America's Game? This is going to be a podcast about the true America's Game, covering the NFL and a little bit of college football. And we're going to be talking about some strategy on this podcast, talking about roster building for Dynasty Fantasy Football. And we're going to be pretty much touching on all aspects of football on this podcast, and I'm excited as hell for it. First thing I want to do is thank Ray Garvin and Jay Rich and the rest of the Destination Devi team for this opportunity. My co-host and I have been following and have been friends with Ray and the rest of the guys for a few years, few years now, and I'm just extremely excited to be a part of the Destination Devi team now weekly. Every week to your podcast feed, it's going to be, you know, something that me and my co-hosts are looking forward to do each week. So I'm excited for it. Now I want to bring in my co-host and my good friend, a man I have known pretty much half my life now, co-manager on some of my dynasty teams. We've run a bunch of uh, leagues together. So someone I've done many shows with as well on his channel. And I'm glad he's joining me on this little adventure with America's Game. My friend, and you'll know him from Dynasty and Chill, he is Scott Connor. Welcome in, Scott. Eric, we're finally here doing our first show, America's Game. Glad to be here. Like you already said, thanks to Ray, Jay Rich, the Destination Debbie team for allowing us the platform. Uh, and I'm just going to let you roll. Uh, I'm glad to be your co-host. I mean, we have, we'll get into our background a little bit, but we have known each other for a long time, way, way before Dynasty or Discord or podcasting. I mean, when America, frankly, on, America Online was a thing. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Put it this way. We've known each other before we could both vote. So that's how yeah. long it's been. And I'm not going to say how old I am, but it's not that hard to figure out and probably the same for you. So glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, you know, asking me to be the co-host. I basically said, Hey man, like this is your show, but I, I love to chop it up with you. We talk all the time weekly on the phone. We've had three, four, five hour phone conversations about dynasty before. So let's just bring it to an actual show. So glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, definitely, man. I'm super excited to have you. Glad you decided to do this. And like you said, we've known each other for years now. I mean, like you said, back in the AOL.com days, you know, messaging each other on AOL Messenger. Um, lots of funny stories from that. I'm sure some point they'll come out. Playing on Yahoo Fantasy Leagues, that was probably like my real first, like real getting into fantasy was on Yahoo Leagues with you. So, yeah, it's been been a long time for sure. We've been friends for, for quite a long time. Yeah, and it goes back even further than that. I mean, at, or late 90s, I remember, I believe when I first met you, we met online. We've actually only seen each other in person probably like half a dozen quite. times over 25 years. But yeah. I believe you were like 12 years old. You were still in – you weren't even in high school yet. Uh, and mm -hmm. we were doing uh, – wrestling sims and online sims with baseball mogul and uh, you know before we even got into fantasy it was like other online right. role-playing games and whatnot and yeah just a bunch of debauchery going back and forth on different chat rooms uh and aim messenger so yeah good glad to be here man yeah. glad to be here yeah and then also uh sports cards that was one of our passions yes. and loves early on too that i think that's kind of where it really started was was with that the the original 
like Y2K early eBay boom with PayPal. And I mean, that was like a daily, the, the day to day now that I spend doing dynasty stuff, which is way too much more than my actual job. You know, don't, don't let my real employer know that, <laughs> but it was the, the opposite back then. It was, I mean, obviously it was before we had like full-time jobs, but it was like sitting on eBay all day, bidding on cards, you know, and looking for different patches or driving to the card store and, you know, picking out different, different packs and different boxes and doing that stuff. Like well before it like became like a huge, huge thing, you know, that was what we were doing back then. So good times, fun hash rehashing those memories. For sure. And, um, you know, like I said before too, we, we run a bunch of leagues together. We got one league coming up here that I'm, I think I want to do an episode on in a couple weeks, kind of closer to when we're going to start it. But uh, we're going to do be doing a USFFL league, and that's going to be kind of based on how the USFL draft was done. So I'm excited to talk about that. We'll get into that more later. But we do run a bunch of leagues together, and we co-host or uh, co-manage a few teams together as well. So we, and we also participated in high stakes together last year for the first time. We we both went to Vegas and we drafted live. I think we did pretty damn good. At least I did. Um, you know, hot, me and you won our auction league. We, me and Scott did a live auction in Vegas, which was really, really cool. I, um, one of the reasons I went to Vegas was because the opportunity to do a live draft. Uh, I've participated in many auction drafts on Yahoo. I've done some on Sleeper. We've done the slow auction drafts on MFL and other websites as well. And the opportunity to do a live auction in person was just one of the highlights of, of my fantasy career for sure. It was really, really cool to be around with 12 other guys and doing live auctions. Me and you had a really good strategy going into it. You had the uh, web, the uh, Google sheet set up for us so we could just put in the player values and it would calculate everything for us as we were going and we could keep track of everybody's roster and I thought me and you put together a really good team. Me and you wanted Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Those were two guys that we had to get. We wanted that stack because we thought, hey, this might be the quote-unquote last dance for A-Rod and Adams. And, and ultimately, it turned out to be the last dance for those two. And we knew those two were going to put up really good numbers, at least we thought so. And they brought us home an auction championship. So that was really cool. And we also did a FFPC main event team together. And we came up five points short of making the damn playoffs. And we would have at least probably, I think our first week in the playoffs too, we ended up putting up 180 points. So we probably would have, we would have made the championship and won some money at least in that league. So that was a little bit disappointing. And then with your, uh, your partner in high stakes as well, me and him did a team and we had the most points in our league and I won some money there. So it was really cool to finally get to do some high stakes as well. Yeah. And we're doing another main event this year. Yep. And we have six other football guys leagues that we're doing together. And I, I have to say, you know, we spent, I think you were there for, I believe four days and, you know, we just to save a little cash, we shared a hotel room and basically like, you know, I was operating on about two hours of sleep cause your ass snored so loud for <laughs> basically all night. I had to almost like go in the other room just cause I couldn't focus. Uh, but yeah, it was a good time. I, I actually would hope that uh, you're not coming to Vegas this year, but maybe in the future you, you decide to come back again, maybe next year, depending on if we win, you know, yep. how, how everything goes this year. 
I'll take another trip. This will be my fifth, no, fourth straight year going to Vegas. And at first I was kind of apprehensive too. Like, I'm not sure if I want to go every single year. It makes it easier when you win. We had a good year last year, you know, basically won back everything we spent was able to buy or were able to buy like 20% more leagues this year and took home some extra money as well. So when you can do that and you can re-roll it the next year and basically play as much or more than you did the year before and still afford the trip to Vegas with all the bells and whistles, then it's uh, something that you don't want to, you know, I'm pressured to win so that I can do it every year, you know? So hopefully you yeah. can join me in the future and uh, maybe do that in another year. Cause it was fun. And I think just to speak to your auction, I think we benefited by being a team because I was able to track the board and you were able to track the players and track the teams. I actually think looking back, that would have been real hard for one person to do like three or four things at once, especially it was loud in the auction room. So it was kind of like you had to listen to, like you could miss a pick and the board was somewhat far away. And so it, it, it would have been overwhelming. I think for one person to track all 240 players the way that we did, if it was one person, you know? So I think definitely doing something like that uh, as a team is, is advantageous instead of just one person. Yeah. A hundred percent. Man, that auction was, was just so much fun though. But yeah, like you said, it was kind of hard to hear people's bids at times who the player was even up for nomination. You didn't even, sometimes you had to ask the guy next to you, Hey, who's up for auction right now? So yeah, there were, there were some challenges with that. But I was, you know, super excited that we really got to do that, man. That was one of the highlights of, of my trip for sure. I also went to uh, the Raiders Stadium and did a stadium tour. That stadium is absolutely gorgeous. That was really cool to do. But, yeah, man, I was glad we got to do that. You know, I'm glad that we won our first time doing a, a live auction and we just crushed it. Our team was just awesome all year long. Uh, we had a little bit of struggles here and there, but one of our main pickups, I have to thank you for it. We spent like $400 on Cordero Patterson. And if we didn't spend that $400 on Cordero Patterson, I don't think we win that league, but I, you know, kudos to you on that one. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those where, you know, we'll get into this with a lot of these episodes from a dynasty perspective too, but even in redraft, you know, you have to kind of always be looking at, you know, one move here and it isn't necessarily about what move you make next. It's about what does this move lead me to maybe be more apt to do in the future with the next five moves. And I think that's something that we learned in 2020 in high stakes where, and I think I brought this to last year's version of our high stakes teams, myself, and then my other partner that we do it with it we made the mistake of when you go like extremely heavy at either like running back or even you could say tight end too. like some of these FFPC drafts, which are tight end premium, the tight ends go much quicker than probably you would hope that they go off the board. And, you know, sometimes you have to look at like, you know, the, by picking a player at a specific spot, you might load up on, three running backs in the first five rounds. But then like you miss out on probably the first month or so of like waiver wire running backs. Cause they just don't feel like they're as important for you to go after. If that makes sense. Right. And I think that burned us in 2020 where we missed out on like James Robinson. We were like, Oh, you know, we don't really need him that much because we have three of our first four picks were running backs. So you miss out. Like it's not that you couldn't have bid it on him. We had the money. 
But when we know it's going to take half your fab budget to get them, then you're less likely to take that risk. And if you're doing 30 high stakes leagues, you want to have exposure of like one, two, three leagues with that player, just like Elijah Mitchell last year. And last year, we designed some more teams around the fact that, hey, if there's an Elijah Mitchell, then we're going to make an aggressive bid on him in a third of our leagues, at least. Now, we only got him in maybe two or three, but we were willing to make that bid in 10 because of the way we build our teams. And I think that gets into some of our dynasty strategy too. You know, like you're much more likely to chase something when you know you're going to need it versus fooling yourself into thinking you're good with it. Right. hundred percent. And, you know, like you said, in 2020, I think it was James Robinson and Mike Davis, but in 2020, you know, we built our teams so running back heavy that we thought, you know what? We don't need to bid on a James Robinson or a Mike Davis. They're never going to play on our teams. And we missed the boat completely on those guys. And in 2020, you know, I, you guys had a lot more at stake than I did in 2020, but it completely cratered and you guys had probably your worst year in high stakes. You know, I don't want to say because of that, but it was definitely a, a part of why it was like that, just because of our roster construction and how we built. And then we learned from that. We adapted, we improved, and last year was, you know, one of our better years. So, you know, it, you just got to be able to be think on your feet, you know, adapt. You know, if you do make mistakes one year, you got to be able to look at your process and go from there. So, you know, we, we've always been able to do that as a team. And, you know, we that's why we're pretty successful in all of our leagues. So, yeah, and getting into just transitioning this to some dynasty talk, I mean, our – we looked back. I, th- I think there was a night where we were going back and forth this year. Man, I think we were maybe on the phone till like two in the morning or something like that. And we brought up like old startup drafts from like 2016 and 2017 and rookie drafts. And we're going like, oh man, that was bad processor. That was a really, really big mistake. And, you know, I've talked about this a little bit on Dynasty and Chill that my, my process has totally changed since like 2018, 2017 to now it, 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 it's led me to be much more, I don't even want to say agnostic because there are certain things where I'm very specific on, like they do matter. Uh, but I've started to become much more flexible, but also really have looked at the game and fantasy and dynasty in a much more abstract view. And just acknowledging that there's so much that can happen and look how much has changed in the last three years in the NFL alone. And forget about the fact that we had like a two-year event with COVID that impacted like literally week to week the sport. But just think about how Dynasty is different now compared to five years ago. How the positions are valued, how the average player plays, how much more content there is. Like you get in a league and it's just average Joes, they're going to be way better than they would have been five years ago. Now, I know people are going to go, oh, you know, I'm in some sleeper leagues and whatever, and it doesn't seem like that's the case. But I think generally a person that's jumping into, you know, a $150 dynasty league, they're not just going to be making the worst possible moves up and down the board to where they just destroy themselves. Like they have some semblance of a plan. It might be the opposite of you and me. It might be somebody that has no clue like what Destination Devi is or what Dynasty and Chill is, but they're getting their ideas from somewhere. You know, they're not just flying blind thinking, Oh, I'm a football scout. I can just pick players better than you. And I can pick random players, you know, fifth round receivers that I know are going to be great. And I'm going to pass up a guy that went in the second round. Like there, there's a process I think for most players 
Now it's how do you beat that with other strategies? Because I think you'd agree there really isn't an edge anymore in terms of like, I know more than you. I know players better than you. I know player values better than you. I know ADP better than you. Like that's not really an edge, especially when you get in leagues. Like most of our leagues form out of our chats, you know? So it's like, if I get in a league with like 11 of my patrons or everyone from the discord, like I have to assume most of them have a plan. They have an idea. They have a lot of the same information that I have. How do I beat them? How do I outthink them when they know half of what I'm already thinking about doing? Yeah, it's got to be extremely tough to do that, especially in your case. I mean, my opinions haven't been out there too much. I do a little bit of stuff for you, but it's still very tough. I mean, a lot of the, these newer leagues that me and you have started up or joined, you know, it's it's with people that we know from Destination Devi or your Patreon, like you mentioned. And it's just so much more difficult to get trades done because people are thinking just like you and they see you trying to tear down and they're like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not giving you that, that leverage. And like your hashtag dynasty leverage for your name. And, you know, it's just so much more difficult to do these trades and make, you know, these easy moves, like some of these people post on Twitter or in, in our discords and stuff about how you know, what trades they're making in their sleeper leagues. And I got all these, you know, they're posting pictures of their sleeper draft picks. They got seven 2023 first and six 2023 seconds. And it's just not like that, especially for me and most of my leagues. Like it's hard to, to do a lot of these leagues. And I think it makes me a better player though, too, is like I'm playing against really good competition. I got to be on my game. I got to be on top of roster management, I got to be on top of the waivers every single week to get my advantage. So that's how I personally get my advantage is doing the little things like that. And I think that helps me, you know, win a lot of these leagues that I do win. So, you know, it's just something that I've kind of adapted with a lot over the years. So d definitely good points on your part. Well, I mean, a shout out to uh, Dwayne McFarland, uh, the hashtag context matters, because a lot of the things you see on Twitter, you don't know the context, you know, like it, it's something that is in my brain constantly. But when I see people say, you know, this player is worth this, or this is a move that I want to make, or I see a screenshot of a trade and I'm sitting there going like, okay, that, that makes some sense. And then you see ones where you're like, okay, that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. A lot of times there's context. A lot of times what you see on the surface isn't actually what it is. Like you may see a screenshot or you may see a poll and it says one thing or it shows one thing. But then you get into the context when, you know, you ask the person, well, what was the surroundings in this move? You know, what is the context to this trade? And you don't know. You don't even know if it's like a full-fledged dynasty league. You don't know what the starting lineups are. You don't know what the roster size is. You don't know what the rules are. I mean, you don't know what the buy-in is. That's a huge thing. I mean, that's a huge thing. You get into leagues where, you know, the buy-in is... Three, four hundred dollars. That's totally different than just a league that somebody signs up on sleeper where it's like a free league mm -hmm. and it's a, like a start nine or something like that with 20 man rosters, like a trade like that or strategy in a league like that. Now I'm not, I used to be somebody that was a little arrogant and would be like, listen, man, I'm not doing anybody that plays in a 10 team start eight league with 18 players on the roster. Like that's, I would used to be like, that's not even dynasty. You know, I know Ray jokes all the time about like, you know, don't come with trade, don't come with trade discussions and value discussions in leagues like that. 
Right. But I think the thing is, though, I've appreciated the fact that you can give me any format, right? Now, it might not be the format that I want to play. If I'm adding a new league, it's not the league that I want to play in. But I think if you can look at any format and have a formula to how to break it down and how to insert the current NFL landscape slash dynasty player landscape and throw it into that formula and then calculate what something is worth or what's a good strategy, I've appreciated that over the years to where like I get so many questions. I mean, you would not believe my DMs like on a daily basis, at least 10 messages a day. Hey, can you look at this roster? Hey, what would you do in this trade? You know, Hey, should I pick this player up? And a lot of times I need the context before I'll give the, the response. But I also appreciate that people will come to me with questions or people will come into the patron chat. They'll become a patron. Maybe they're only in a league or two, right? But they, they want to learn. They want to evolve. So they'll ask some basic questions, you know, like I'm in an 18 league and most people just shit on somebody in an 18 league. Right. I'm not answering your question. That's stupid. You know, but then you think about it. Okay. What if I was in an 18 league? Now I wouldn't necessarily go and seek one out, but if I was in one, I need to know how to solve for the variables. And I think that's what dynasty is. Everything is a variable. Is it best ball? Is it not best ball? Is there a trade deadline? Is there not a trade deadline? Winner waivers are waivers all year round, every single week, every single day, or is there no waivers from freaking March until the start of the season? Like all those things change the scope of the math formula. And it's solving for those variables that you don't know, which what's what makes Dynasty fun. So I think that's what that's kind of how we look at things. And we just kind of stay in our comfort zone most of the time when we're doing content, though, because you know, most people in the Discord and in my patron, they're you know, they're playing in, you know, start 12, start 13 leagues, deep rosters, weird scoring, weird rules. Like it's pretty advanced. So I think we tend to stay in that lane. Uh, but I think that's one of my weaknesses kind of as an, an analyst over the last couple of years has been, I need to be better at adapting to whatever comes to me. You know, like someone asked me, Hey, you want to be in this charity league? And okay, it's, it's only a 10 team league. And this is the format I need to figure out how to come up with my plan and my template for anything. And I need to have a way to do it faster than my competition in the league that might just be flying blind. I mean, how many times have you been in a league where you can just tell the person is just playing this like it's a, a vanilla standard league? Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, that's a big mistake because you have to start two tight ends and it's two PPR for, for tight end scoring. Like, so you don't look at a normal dynasty rank with start one PPR to go on your tight ends. You're going to lose that. You know what I mean? But you, you always spot the people that don't adapt. They don't adjust. They don't change their mindset and they're not able to be flexible. So I just want to put that out there. That's a lot of what this show is going to be about. Uh, and I do want to challenge you and me on this show to kind of be a little more open-minded to like anything like, Hey, it might not be something that you and me want to do. But if someone comes to us with a question, like I, I want to be able to provide a way to think and get to the answer. Right, hundred percent. I agree with that. And like you were saying, you know, with a lot of these leagues, we we get a lot of different questions. You know, even I from your Patreon, um, I'll get a few questions from guys, you know, here and there. Hey, who would you take at this spot? Would you do this trade and, and whatnot? So it's definitely like, you know, you gotta th think on your feet a little bit and 
put yourself in that situation and take that context of what that league is, what are those settings, and look and see, hey, what is the optimal play here? You know, point if it's a point per carry league, you know, I want to carry as many running backs as I can, and those, you know, filler wide receivers. You know, do I really want those guys? Well, me and you call them the roster cloggers. Do I really want these roster clogger wide receivers when I could just have any running back with a pulse? You know, I'd rather have the running back with the pulse in a point per carry league on that off chance that, hey, they do end up getting a start or two every single year, you know, because of injuries and attrition and all that. So that's another thing that, you know, we're definitely going to talk about on here. And then like you were talking about as well, you know, you see those teams in our leagues that just have poor, poor roster management. You know, they're in our point per carry leagues. I can go through a few of those leagues and see there's a few teams that just have, you know, their roster in like 15, 16 wide receivers, you know, out of 30 roster spots or 32 roster spots, whatever it is, half their team is wide receivers. And that's just not the optimal play at all in those leagues. Yeah, I just happened to uh, one of our, long running point per carry leagues. I happened to click on one of the bad teams in one of those leagues and the roster construction isn't like as brutally bad as it, it could be, but I just counted up his wide receivers. So right now we're at 37 roster spots in that league and it cuts down to 32, Uh, but he's rostering 16 wide receivers Mm -hmm. uh, in this league. And I mean, some of the names that are in that list are Albert Wilson, Adam Humphreys, Deshaun Jackson, Jalen Guyton, Antonio Brown, Chris Conley. You know, like it, it's a little OCD, but like you and I, you and I would just release those guys. We would have, we would rather have nothing than have those just because of the way that probably our brains are operating. You know, I see Jalen Guyton on a team in a league like that. I just cut him. Right. There'll be an opportunity in the next week, two weeks, three weeks for me to go, oh, let me pick up the fifth running back on the Cowboys. That's a better investment of my roster spot than Deshaun Jackson. Like there's nothing that could happen for that to change. Now that doesn't mean that you're not going to turn and burn that roster spot or the player that you pick up, but just the idea that, you know, you see 20, 25% of the meat being left on the bone and then throwing it in the trash. That's exactly what's going on here. And that's an edge among itself. I don't have a good way to measure what that edge is, but I, I would tend to say that if you're just the biggest grinder in your league and you're always optimizing the very, very small, minute things that you can optimize, like it's probably somewhere, I don't know, 5% advantage across the, the league year, you know, mm. just, just in general, it just, it, there might be one time where you can capitalize on one move where you trade a player for a third round pick. And it's because you flipped Deshaun Jackson out for Mateo Durant and you picked him up after the rookie draft and no one knew the hell, who the hell he was. But the fact that he was a running back that had a 1% chance of making a team, you were ahead of everybody else, you know, and you would even say, well, the, the odds that he makes it and he's ever worth a third is like, what a five, that's like the 5% or better outcome, but you made the move. And that, that was just pure process. There was no player evaluation. There was no, like, I have an edge on you. It was just basically the other person was too lazy and or hasn't thought about it. So just things like that, that, that you see and you go through your leagues and you're just like, wow. Yeah, it doesn't make really any sense to, yeah, another one I know your pet, one of your pet peeves is it's 38-man rosters and the person has 26 players on their team. 
you know, now there's some situations where I'm like, I'm a couple short because we haven't run waivers yet. And I'm, I'm as bad as like, if I have Deshaun Jackson, I just cut him even if I can't pick anybody up because I'm sick of seeing him. But yeah, like you go throughout the year, there's people that are never even use the roster spots allotted to them all year. And that's just like a fundamental, like one Oh one mistake that you could correct easily by just making sure you're on top of it. It's crazy how like-minded we are and how we think alike because that's exactly was the point I was going to bring up was my, one of my biggest pet peeves is not filling out your roster. If you have 37 roster spots and your six taxi squad spots, fill all those damn spots with players, like somebody that has a chance that has a pulse. Like, I don't care if like all the running backs are gone and a point per carry Lee, you can still put the wide receivers on there. I understand that, you know, just filling all those roster spots and just seeing what happens, like injuries happen in, in preseason and training camps. And even before that, like workout injuries, like we saw like this offseason, Tariq Cohen blew out his, you know, Achilles while he was training, like that kind of stuff happens. So like just having, you know, a full roster gives you chances that gives you lottery tickets. That's what some of these guys are. They're just lottery tickets like Mateo Durant and Jalen Warren, both Steelers running backs that were UDFAs that have a pretty decent shot of making the roster. One of them does. And then you just cut the other one that doesn't make it. So, you know, taking those kind of lottery tickets and having them and just fill that damn roster, like with all the taxi squad spots. And, you know, I understand leagues cut down to like, like ours, you know, we have a 37 man roster. We expand it in the off season for rookie picks and then we'll cut down right before the season starts. Just maximize your spots at all times. Take, you know, advantage of those spots because you never know what's going to happen. You can find some really gems out there. You know, I mean, the biggest one that I could ever think of is like Victor Cruz. Like if you would have just seen the hype on Victor Cruz during, uh, especially the preseason games and you picked him up in like week one or week two and just kind of saw what happened. I mean, you got an absolute top 24 dynasty wide receiver at the time in Victor Cruz for free. You know, there's other times, too, where I know Scott's picked him up. Like, uh, the best one I can think of a couple years ago was for the Titans. It was Alex Barnes, and he was a running back that the Titans um, picked up. I believe he was undrafted, and you picked him up for free in every league, and then he got some hype, and everybody liked him, and you got third-round picks for him. You just flipped him and made a huge profit. You got a free third-round pick for a guy you picked up off of waivers at one point. So just doing little things like that just makes a huge difference and really helps you gain that extra leverage in Dynasty. Yeah, and it leads into, you know, there there is a level of kind of portfolio strategy that I get into as well. So sometimes you will see me being a couple roster spots short in a league. And a lot of times that's because I'm playing with a specific portfolio. And if I don't have all my roster spots full, then most likely at the leverage positions in those specific leagues, it's because there's somebody I've just kind of decided is my cutoff point that I'm not going to pick up. So, I mean, it does depend on the league, but just in general, I think the theme of what we're talking about is looking for these small things that you can identify that take very little effort. You know, I mean, think about how much time people spend with their smartphones. It does not take that long to go through and add in a couple waiver claims. Like literally you can do it while you're just sitting there Uh, and just thinking about, you know, always being on top of doing those things. And you know what? You may not win your league, 
but at least you don't leave and you go, man, like I wish I would have been a little more active this year, or I wish I would have had a couple more extra draft picks to play around with during the season. And it's just a lot of times because of what you're doing in all of the dead time, you know, and I think that we have, we're probably speaking to an audience of people that are thinking like this for the most part. So just take this as a reminder of, you know, what edges can I get that cost me nothing other than a couple minutes? And they may be one of the few things that I have. If I'm in a league with 11 other patrons of mine, it's going to be really hard for me to find an edge in terms of strategy. Like players may have player differences, player values differently, that kind of stuff. Okay, I can always find an edge there if I'm just different than you. I mean, you and I are pretty much lock set on most stuff, but there's times where we're different on players and we can make trades. You know, like we made a trade a couple weeks ago in a league and I did it for one reason, you did it for another. And that just happened to be where our, I guess, specific thoughts on that player were a little different. So we found the trade. But I think that the, for the most part, that's not an edge. And then when you lose the strategy edge too, because a lot of people are following, you know, we have some good people on the, the Destination Devi feed that lay out their strategy. Ray has started to do really well at laying out his strategy and he does it. So it's going to be really hard for him to go in a league and be like, well, nobody knows what I'm going to do. If anything, he, he's at a disadvantage because he's the one putting out hours and hours of content every week. Everyone knows what he's going to do. You know, I, a lot of the other people, the other league members don't know what they're going to do, but they all know what, you know, Dynasty and Chill is going to do. Pretty much like clockwork. I'm fairly predictable. So I always tell people, if you want to beat me, one of the ways to beat me is figure out, okay, either A, bet against what I'm doing, right? Like I pretty much say I'm taking this type of bet for this year and you go against the grain. You bet against it. You bet that, hey, Scott's going to be wrong. I'm going to be right. I'm going to take the opposite side of the bet. I'm going to beat him. But then the other way to beat me is to outthink me. Think, think like the next level of what I'm doing and take it even more to the extreme. So it's, it's really all about kind of like knowing what my strategy is and then finding a way to zag from that. Because you don't want to just follow me. Because if you're going to follow me, Eric, if you're just going to follow me and do the exact same thing as I'm doing in a league, guess what? You better be grinding as hard as I am. You better be as active as I am. You better be keeping up with every single player in the NFL like we do. Every depth chart, you know what I mean? Literally, we're in there every week grinding waivers, going like, and I know you do it too. Even if it's only like 30 minutes every Tuesday night, because most of our waivers run on Wednesday. Like every Tuesday night, I'm thinking about, okay, I have a couple roster spots in there. Is there anybody I want to pick up? And I'll look for like a minute or two, you know, in every league just to see if there's somebody that I want to pick up. So I think that's the thing is like, if you're going to just do exactly what I'm doing, you basically just have to outgrind me, be more active than me. And it's still like a coin flip of whether you're going to just pick players better than me and get luckier than me. So I think that's a, that's a real takeaway from this is if you know you're getting into a sharp league, really, really think about how you're going to zig, how you're going to stay ahead of the game. And it's not just going to be, Hey, I'm on Twitter a lot. I read a lot of articles. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Like you got to take that information, absorb it, kind of create your own path and then execute that on the fly. For sure. I, like you were saying, like 30, 30, 40 minutes on waivers. And I laughed at that because it takes me like three or four hours. to. Well, do I mean, waivers. like now I, I get yeah. there's like trigger periods after the rookie drafts and stuff where you're going to put more time into it. But even now where a lot of our waiver wires have run for eight weeks since the rookie draft and they're yeah. 
they're fairly picked clean. So I'll yeah. just go through and be like, oh, did somebody get dropped? Or was there news on some player that I want to pick up and stash? But I mean, even those, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that skip over waivers after yeah. the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Me, like I'm always kind of checking, you know, I wouldn't say every league because I know which kind of leagues that I'm in are pretty much maxed out already. But for the most part, I'm checking them every single week going through, okay, the th- the 38th player on this team, who can I pick up? You know, is there is there ever a path to where, and it's not even that I think I'm going to pick this player up and then flip him for a pick later. It's that if I pick them up and they're even close to the same value as another player I have, maybe it allows me to flip another player and liquidate that player for some sort of future value and then backfill with this player. So that's like the Mateo Durant's of the world. Like, I'm not sure we keep bringing him up, but even if he wins the number three job in Pittsburgh, let's say, he's not going to necessarily be somebody you can get a pick for. But all of a sudden, I feel more confident with him as a running back that's worth a roster spot during the season. Mm-hmm. So then I go in and I trade Trey Sermon for a third. Now he might be the third running back on San Francisco, but to me, I kind of look at him as the same thing at that point, but I can't get a third from him, but I may be able to get a third for Trey Sermon. If he does anything in the preseason and looks okay, he's a player I could get a third for. So the move isn't that I'm picking him up necessarily because he's better than Trey Sermon. I'm picking him up he may backfill Trey Sermon's spot, and then I can liquidate a guy like Trey Sermon for a third in the preseason with the hopes that, hey, I can use the third later on to buy some points during the year. So that's that's kind of how we're thinking, but you have to make all the moves leading up to the Trey Sermon trade for that to make sense to do. Right, for sure, because I, I know we've done that you know, a hundred times, thousands of times, you know, just picking up those guys and then we'd be able to trade, you know, like you mentioned, Trey Sermon for a third during, you know, during the uh, preseason there, if he's getting some hype, you know, a lot of these players end up getting some hype there in the preseason, especially the rookies, they get that hype and everyone, oh, I got to have him. He's going to be the next big thing. And you, you can be able to trade those guys. You know, ones that I actually missed out on last year, and one of the things I learned from last year is, you know, I do a lot of digging through training camp notes from the beat writers and these websites and stuff. And I found Tony Jones, you know, watching him in the preseason games. I watched Tyson Williams, obviously, with all the Ravens injuries. Somebody had to take over there. I watched him. Nate McCrary was another one that Baltimore had. Makai Sargent, Tennessee had for a while. And those guys looked really good. And I was on top of those guys week one and picked them up. But I should have taken the hype on Tony Jones and Tyson Williams and just sold them right there. Even though, like, oh, man, Tony Jones is going to be the number two for the Saints. All they had is Kamara and nobody really else. You know, and Latavius was going to get cut because Latavius, you know, all the reports were he looked like dog shit during the preseason last year. And I I knew it and reading all the reports on it. And I knew this guy was going to get cut because they didn't owe him any money, no guaranteed money at all. And they were going to cut him and they ended up cutting him. And Tony Jones became, oh, man, he's got to be the go to guy. Kamara can't handle the workload. So Tony Jones is going to get some carries. And then with all the Ravens injuries with Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins, Justice Hill, Tyson Williams came in, and he was probably going to be like the starter. You could have easily gotten a second-round pick for Tyson Williams at points. You could have easily gotten a third-round pick for Tony Jones at points. And I had a lot of those guys, and I'm like, oh, man, I got to use these guys. I found them. 
I can use them when I should have been smart enough to know, hey, the likelihood that these guys actually hit, they're like undrafted guys. I should probably sell a few of them, get third round picks, get second round picks for them and just take that free profit. And that was one of my mistakes I made last year. And I'm kind of kicking myself over it because I could have made a lot of profit off of those guys last year. So that's one thing I'm going to be looking to improve on this off season and this preseason looking at who are going to be the hot guys to pick up. Like you mentioned, Mateo Durant, Devante Price, Tyler Beatty, Dontrell Hilliard, some of the guys that we're probably going to talk about here in a few minutes, but, you know, those types of players, if any of these guys get major hype, I'm going to go ahead and sell them for seconds and thirds if I can in a few spots where it makes sense. You know, I don't want to completely gut my roster and, you know, there isn't anybody to pick up either. So that's another thing I want to look at as well. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about some players, but I think the overarching theme of what you just said is that we we have layers of value in Dynasty. And so going from a player that is on a waiver wire in a 12 team 38 man roster league going from there to worth a third round pick to where and not saying that you he's not worth a third for you to trade away there's a lot of players where i go i would rather have them occupy a roster spot than take less than a third right there's a lot of players that fit that category but going from I picked him up off waivers in June because of what he did in OTAs to someone actually is trading me a third, a third round pick. Because third round picks are finite. There's usually only two sets of them per team in the league. Maybe they're 23s and they're 24s, right? So there's still only 24 of them. And there's probably 150 players that you would say, I would want a third to trade them away. And I'm not cutting them right? Like there's a lot of players that fit that category. So there's clearly the supply and demand is on the favor of the draft picks. So to get to a point where you pick up a player that deep and you're able to flip them for a pick, a third specifically, because fourths, I think are starting to get into fourths are equivalent to roster spots in a lot of leagues. And, but if you can get a third, that is a massive gap between the, Hey, I picked them up off waivers to someone actually gave me a third. You've now bridged the gap between that 150 or so players that are worth a third to I just got one of the 24 thirds available in this league. And I mean 24 meaning the number of them, the 12 in 23 and the 12 in 2024. And you probably already have a couple of them because they're your own picks. So effectively, if I can sell a guy like Mateo Durant for a third, any third, I don't care what team, I don't care what year, fuck it. We can even go out to like 2025. It doesn't matter. Like if you can just get a pick, the value gain on that is huge. And most people go, oh, it's it's stupid. It's a third. It doesn't mean anything. No, just think about the principle of how much gap you just bridged by picking that player up and you got a much more scarce asset. And I think a lot of people look at that going, well, Mateo Durant's never going to be in my lineup. Okay. The third round pick I draft, Eric, is never going to be in my lineup. Okay. You're missing the point. You're totally missing the point. It isn't about, and, and I hate this. I hear people say, well, thirds are useless. Well, why are thirds useless, Mr. Whoever says they're useless? Oh, the hit rate is less than 5%. You've already lost me. You've already lost me on your thinking on a totally different plane than what we're talking about. You're citing the hit rate. My goal is to never make that third round pick unless it's a very specifically designed third round pick that I somehow still have on my team 
in May when the rookie draft comes up in two years. And I might. This year was a draft where I think we were both heavily invested in making third round picks where we could because of our roster construction. But we also knew that every time we clicked the button on, you know, Keontae Ingram or Ty Chandler or Tyler Beatty or whoever, that was a roster construction pick. It was probably, and I'm guilty of it, there was probably a lot of third round picks this year that I made and I left some value on the table by not just trading for future thirds with those picks, right? Like I over-invested in some players. And that's okay, but even sitting there going like, I'm maximizing the value of my 400 third round picks that I made this year. I'm kidding myself if I click draft a player with all 400 of those. I probably pissed away half that value just by picking players. Because we are talking about players that are going to hit at a very, very minute percentage. So I think just back to my example, like for you to bridge the gap from a guy you picked up off waivers to getting a third is huge. When you start getting into second round territory or first round territory, that is when you're almost betting that this player has like a lasting role. This isn't just, hey, he's going to spot start for one week. This is a guy that's going to have like year round value or be able to survive dynasty value wise through an off season. I mean, that's something I've learned big time over the last couple of years is quite frankly, what happens to 95% of players once we get to January, Eric? They're worthless. They're worthless. People don't. They may have worth to you on your team. Go try to trade them. Mm-hmm. No, nah, I'm not interested in that guy. I'm not interested in buying, uh, you know, KJ Hamler after his torn ACL. I'm just not. Yeah. And you say, oh, well, I, he, if he comes back, he's probably worth a third. Fair enough. But go try to sell him. You don't want to be the one holding him from the time he gets hurt until August of the next year. That is just a dead asset that's taking up a roster spot that at no no time could you go spend and get anything of an equivalent value on the market. So I think that's kind of how you have to think about these things. And you know, you you made that example perfectly. Like you held on to, you know, what did you end up dropping all your Tyson Williams? Yeah, at some point, uh, definitely ended up dropping him. I probably played him the first couple of weeks thinking he'd be something, but yeah, ended up dropping him. I I don't think I have any of him. I still have a few Tony Jones floating around because I still like him a little bit, but I know the outlook for him is looking bleak. Well, who are the, um, let's get into some players just because, I mean, we, I think we've preached enough and I'm, we will do more discussion like this on like roster theory. I think that's probably like one of the biggest passions for both of us is yep. really dialing in on these things. Uh, but like, who are, who are some of the players this year that you're kind of looking at that, you know, that in that same situation, I guess. Yeah. So some of the guys that I've kind of identified so far that might be out there in a few leagues that I want to hold that I think are going to have some really good value this year. I really like if for some reason somebody dropped Teddy Bridgewater because he's now he's a backup. I think there's a really good shot at some point that Teddy Bridgewater ends up starting some games for Miami this year. Especially if Tua gets hurt, he's been banged up before in the past, or he's just not effective in this offense. We've already seen some of the videos that have come out of him uh, underthrowing some balls and whatnot. This is a new new coach as well. He specifically brought in Teddy Bridgewater, or well, him and his regime, and they gave him six and a half million dollars guaranteed. Sure, that's not huge money, but you know, it's a pretty good guaranteed for a backup quarterback nowadays. So I think if, you know, what has Tua really shown us that shows 
hey, I'm going to be, you know, this all I needed was just a couple more weapons and I'm going to be this super stud quarterback top 12 every single week in fantasy. He just hasn't shown us that he struggled quite a bit um, at times as well. And Miami's looking to win right now. They got a pretty young, solid defense and they just got in Tyree kill who they're paying all this money. They got a young Jalen Waddle. They just brought in all these running backs. They have Gasecki on the franchise tag. Offensive line is is middle of the road about they're getting a little bit better. They want to win right now, and especially in this AFC with the whole AFC West. You got Cleveland, Cincinnati, Baltimore. You got the AFC East with Buffalo, New England. The Jets are looking to make a move. Miami themselves. You got the South with the Colts, you know, Jaguars, Texans, Titans, you know, were the number one seed last year. You got all these teams. There's like 10 teams fighting for seven spots in the wild card. So all these teams are trying to win. And if Tua fails again this year, I think there's a really good possibility that Teddy Bridgewater can step in. And this would be the best weapons Teddy Bridgewater has ever played with, throwing to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and Mike Gusecki and he's got all these running backs um, as well. You know, this might be Teddy Bridgewater's best time that he ever, if he ever starts this year, you know, he could be worth something fantasy. And if somebody needs a quarterback during the season, you might not get a back-end first-round pick or, you know, something like that, but you might be able to get two second-round picks for Teddy Bridgewater at some point. So that's one of the guys I like. Another one is from Miami, Sony Michelle. I know some people have talked about him lately, but, I'm reading the beat reports um, from OTAs on that. And Raheem Mostert, like nobody really mentions him or talks about him. Like, and they only gave him $1 million guaranteed. So they can easily get away from Mostert if he's not healthy or if he takes a step back and whatnot. So I'm not like really worried about Raheem Mostert. Chase Edmonds got the bag. He got a lot of money. So I'm expecting Edmonds to be a big part of what Miami does on offense. But he's showing that he cannot handle that like 15, 20 carry workload a week. You know, he just he breaks down and he gets hurt. And that's going to happen at some point too with Chase Edmonds. So they're going to have to manage his carries. They're going to use him quite a bit. Like that's definitely going to be a 50 50 split there, but I think it's going to be Sony Michelle. He showed last year with St. Louis or uh, not St. Louis, but the LA Rams and he could come in when acres, you know, obviously tore his Achilles before the season started and Daryl Henderson would come in. He looked really good at the beginning, but Daryl Henderson ended up getting hurt. Michelle filled in really nicely for them and he was getting a hundred yards. He was banging out touchdowns. I believe he led the team in touchdown runs last year for them. So Michelle is a guy that I think that they brought in. They brought him in cheap. I think he's getting a lesser guarantee than Mostert, but I think he's just the best overall rushing running back on this team. I think Michelle could really come in there and make a big difference. So that's another guy that I can buy cheap. Maybe I doubt he's on waivers. A lot of people probably still have him, but if I can get him as a throw in in trades, that's a guy I really, really like that I think could be, and every week, you know, top 24 running back that you're starting at some point this year. Another one, Tyler Beatty from the Ravens. You know, I wasn't like super huge on him going into the draft. He was a little bit down on my rankings. 
But if you look at it, the reports on J.K. Dobbins, he hasn't really practiced yet. You know, obviously he had the ACL injury, but he also injured, I believe it was the LCL, which is a really tough ligament um, damage to come back from. So Dobbins, I believe, is going to be really slow. Uh, coming back and it's going to take him some time. It might take him till mid season before he's finally in the form. You got Gus Edwards coming back off the ACL and he was never the bastion of explosion either. So Edwards is going to be a little bit slow coming back. Justice Hill towards Achilles. I doubt he even makes this team. So there's going to be a point this year, especially early on where Beatty's getting some meaningful carries. And he's also a really good pass catcher. He was one of the best pass catching running backs in this uh, draft. Now I know the Ravens don't throw to the running backs very often, but he, he's going to be able to fill in and get a few catches here and there for them, as well as show that he can be a, um, a workhorse running back because he was in the SEC with uh, Missouri last year and had really good, you know, one of their all-time leading carry leaders there, obviously got all the catches as well. He's showing that he can handle a workload. So Beatty's a guy that I definitely really like that, you know, if I could pick him up cheap in some trades or hopefully I drafted a couple shares of him, really like him to maybe make an impact here early on. And who's to say that they just pushed Gus Edwards to the side because Beatty's so good and Beatty's the RB2 splitting with Dobbins once Dobbins gets rolling and healthy. And then the last guy I wanted to bring up that I really, really like is Dontrell Hilliard for the Titans. All they have is Derrick Henry, obviously, as a starter. Behind him, it's Hassan Haskins, who I really think is just the direct backup to Derrick Henry. He might get like three, four carries a week, you know, maybe a little bit of a breather here for Derrick Henry. But I don't think he's going to be the guy that they – you know, are rolling out as the RB2 every single week right behind Henry and not use Hilliard. Hilliard's a really good pass catcher, and he gives them a different look at the running back spot as well, running different types of plays that they, you know, they Tennessee runs that stretch zone, uh, the zone runs that everybody likes to run right now. Hilliard can kind of hit those plays and give them a little different look than what Tyler or uh, Derrick Henry does. So with Hilliard, I think he's going to be the RB2, kind of like the Jeremy McNichol slash Deion Lewis role from the last couple of years with this team. So I think Hilliard is pretty much a lock to make this team. I know a lot of people talk about Julius Chestnut, and I like Chestnut. I think he's got some some skills, but if you look at who else they have, so they're obviously going to carry Derrick Henry. They're going to carry Dontrell Hilliard. They're going to carry Haskins. They also brought in Trenton Cannon. Now, Trenton Cannon's not a guy I want to roster in fantasy, but if you read the OTA reports and the coaches talking about him, especially the special teams coach, he absolutely loves Trenton Cannon. Talks about how big of an impact he's going to make on their special team as a return guy, a gunner on punts, and all that. And Trenton Cannon's going to make this team. So that's four running backs there before I even mention Julius Chestnut. Does Chestnut have a chance to make this team? Sure. He's got to have a really good preseason and training camp and just make them force Trenton Cannon off the roster and basically do what Trenton Cannon already does. So Dontrell Hilliard and, and was who I was really talking about here. He's going to be the guy that's going to be behind Derrick Henry. That's going to get some playing time there that, you know, if something happens to Derrick Henry again, he hurts his foot, whatnot. It's definitely going to be Haskins and Hilliard splitting the work 50, 50. So those are just a couple of the guys I wanted to highlight that I'm, that I want on my rosters right now that I'm excited for this season.
Yeah, and I think I wanted to go back to your very first one, Teddy Bridgewater. You know what quarterbacks I'm interested in? Sam Darnold, Andy Dalton, Teddy Bridgewater. Like, those are the kind of guys I'm targeting, and people go, oh, you're crazy. Those guys suck. That The idea here is, I mean, shout out to Adika who puts out all the warp data. If you're trading away a QB2, a guy that's below, like the, it's right around QB18 or so is where the warp really starts to level off. If you're trading away a guy in that range, say you're trading away Jared Goff or Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, get their price. Whatever their market price is in your league, you're okay accepting that price. Call it a 23 second for Jared Goff. Like, I think if we could, we would do backflips if we could get that, right? Right. But you know what? The price that I want is Teddy Bridgewater plus the second for Jared Goff. Like, every one of those trades, I'm going to look, and if the other team has one of these, like, quote-unquote, gross backup quarterbacks, and I'm not talking about, like, Tyler Huntley or someone like that that actually may have some value. I'm talking about, well, there's some reason they're rostering Andy Dalton. He's useless. Until he's not. And so the idea here is you're essentially literally getting those guys for free. You're trading away a quarterback that is coming from basically a range from like a warp perspective that is minimal, means nothing. If if you're starting Jared Goff all year, you're getting very minimal impact on your team across the weeks that you're playing him. He might have some spike weeks, but generally like positional advantage across the season, it's minimal. It's the same as when you start a backup. It's the same as when you basically start Colt McCoy for the three games he's going to play. The impact is almost the same. So if you can get those guys back in trades for free, like I don't even, I I think Sam Darnold is awful, but you know what? You can throw him back to me in a trade, but he's, he, I'm countering with whatever pick you're offering me for Carson Wentz or Matt Ryan or Jared Goff. Whatever you would say their market price is, to me, it's the market price plus Teddy Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. That's the offer. If you don't want to do it and you say, oh, well, Teddy Bridgewater could take over. Great. You can keep him, but you're not trading for my quarterback. But, and that's like a must ask. And this is more for lineup leagues versus best ball. But for lineup leagues, like it, there's probably, and you can make your own list. I know you have your own list of like the 12 backup quarterbacks that you'll actually carry. All right. Get those guys thrown in and you actually want to target them at the time when everyone knows they're not going to start or when there's no hype or no steam for them in the community. Like it's actually harder to do a deal like that for like Gardner Minshew because there's still like 10% of people that think he's going to get a shot to start in the future. Like they're, they're waiting for him to hit the open market and he'll be a bridge starter. And I mean, that's possible. But honestly, he's no better than Andy Dalton. Mm-hmm. But Andy Dalton gets dropped in leagues because, well, you know, he's gotten seven opportunities. So he's just so bad. So I think that that's how you can execute those types of trades. And because otherwise, if I said, Eric, are you targeting Teddy Bridgewater? You're probably not. You probably don't want to give up a pick to get him, right? You don't want to give up a third to get him. So how do I get him without going to the manager and going, hey, can I have Teddy Bridgewater? Like if I go to Eric and say, I'll give you a fifth for Teddy Bridgewater, what are you going to say? No, go pound rocks, right? No. Yep. How about a fourth? Would you take it or would you rather just have him on the back end of your roster? No, I probably would ask for a third. Okay. Now a third you'd consider, you'd be like, yeah. well, okay. I, I probably have Teddy on three or four teams. I'll take the third, but that's the trigger point. It would take a third for you to go buy him from somebody else. And that's not how I want to spend my third. So how do I find deals where I can optimize 
my goals from a roster construction standpoint without actually paying draft picks. Because that's another thing. You'll go, well, what would you pay for Teddy Bridgewater? Okay, I'd pay a third. Sure. But you're an idiot to pay a third. Mm -hmm. But you also know if he's ever starting for three weeks, when Tua's quote-unquote out, you ain't getting him for a third. He's too good for somebody to go, oh, well, I'll give you, I'll give him to you for a third. No, it's a second then. Yep. And if two is going to miss three games, are you giving a second for Teddy Bridgewater? No. So again, how do you get shares of a guy like Teddy Bridgewater or Andy Dalton? You, you don't. There's o- the only way you do it is in these pivot deals where they get thrown in. So I just want to comment on that because I totally agree with you with Bridgewater. I've hated Bridgewater forever. I mean, mm-hmm. back to when he was at Louisville. I hated him at Louisville because I'm a Kentucky fan. But you know what? This is the first time where I'm like, okay, I'll collect some Bridgewater shares. I think I have like four now. And I never wanted him before. But now I'm like, sure, there's some deals where I can get him thrown in. And all of a sudden, maybe I have four or five, six shares going into the season. And if he ever plays, that's literally free profit because I got him thrown in on top of the market price for the guy that I traded away. So, yeah, another another rant. That's going to be a theme of this show is uh, Scott yeah. ranting for five minutes on on strategy stuff like that. So That's all good. But who, who are some guys that you're looking at uh, to roster? Uh, well, we were talking about this. You know, one thing you already mentioned, um, you threw Devontae Price out there. I'm interested in the Colts backfield because I think everyone else doesn't like the Colts backfield. I mean, I'm up to, I believe, 20%. Philip Lindsay. Now I think I have Philip Lindsay on 11 rosters and I never had a lot of Philip Lindsay. I, I never had more than like three or four, but this year he's literally when he was dropped by Miami and basically was a free agent, people dropped him in dynasty leagues. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like he, he's clearly worthy of probably a roster spot on an NFL team, or at least he's done enough to where he's going to get a few more legitimate shots to make a roster. And then, so he got caught in leagues. He was a free agent. He didn't sign right away in free agency either. So people just assume when a running back doesn't sign in free agency, that he must suck. But if you really think about that, if you're a running back, what would be the rush for you to sign in March for the team to go and then add two day three running backs and two UDFA running backs. And now they go, well, Philip, all these guys have, less wear and tear and fresher legs than you. Sorry, buddy. We're going to hold you until the end of the preseason. Then we're going to cut your ass. And then guess what? No one else is going to pay you to be on their 53 man roster. So he's kind of just screwed at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think there's running backs, like running backs, the one position where you have no incentive to really, especially a veteran has no incentive to go pick a team in April to sign with. You might as well wait until like training camp. Go, okay, this guy will latch on. And so I'm interested. And and then, of course, he signs with the Colts, who brought in like three UDFA running backs that people already liked. Mm -hmm. Plus, they have Deion Jackson from last year. So now you're like, oh, he's not going to make, even if he makes the Colts, he's worthless, right? That's the narrative from the dynasty community. But I think we're kind of looking at it like, okay, whoever's the number three on the Colts, that's probably a running back that's worth a roster spot in dynasty, any dynasty league. And he's probably got the upper hand to be in that spot right now. So that that's just one where I want as many Colts running backs as I can get, not name Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor. I want all the Devontae Price. I want some CJ Verdell. I want some Deion Jackson. I want Philip Lindsay. Give me them all. 
And I know probably three of the four are going to be cut come beginning of September. But I want whoever that is in that spot. And I think that can probably that theme can probably go for half the backfields in the NFL. So I think that that was one that I definitely put down. And then you put a, you put a couple others in here that you know I like, like Foster Moreau. I think I'll, people have gotten onto Foster Moreau, so I'm going to shift away from Foster Moreau a little bit and look at the leagues where tight ends actually matter. And I'm not going to search Dynasty Leverage on YouTube if you want to find the tight end show that I did or the DLF article that I wrote. But leagues where tight ends matter. 1.75 or more premium. Start two leagues with at least like 1.5 premium. Those are ones where you're looking at, okay, I actually am interested in like stash extra roster spot tight ends. So this is not going to apply to your start one 1.5 premium leagues. You do not want to be carrying 12 tight ends in those leagues. There has to be some sort of premium, even if it's 1.5 with point per first down or 1.5 with 0.15 per point yardage wise, like any bonus that bumps it over 1.5, it starts to get to the point where you're willing to stash more. Uh, So I would literally look at any tight end that has an athletic profile. And again, check out those videos if you want to know what the criteria is. But I mean, how many times have you seen Josh Oliver dropped in leagues? Right. I mean, that's one where it's like he literally just gets cut. Bryson Hopkins gets cut in leagues and you're going, well, these guys are worthless. They're backup tight ends. They're not that good. They're never going to be, quote unquote, relevant. Well, yeah, if you're in a PPR league with start one, they're never going to be relevant. But you know who else isn't relevant in those leagues? Like Hayden Hurst. He's on a roster. What's the difference? Mm -hmm. You know, like the the tight end 25 is not relevant in a PPR league either. It's giving you no advantage. It's just a streaming play. So I think in these leagues where tight ends matter, go through your waiver wire and look like, okay, someone doesn't have Bryson Hopkins on a team. I'll pick him up. Every one of the, I mean, this was a great tight end class for athleticism. Guys like Nick Muse, Andrew Ogletree, um, a bunch of others, Lucas Kroll, Austin Allen. Like there's a ton of tight ends where you're like, oh, that guy has an athletic profile. Now he might've been a UDFA. What are the odds he ever makes the roster low? But that's a, those guys are a better stash than Quez Watkins, right? Mm. Or Darius Slayton. Why, I mean, why, why do we have those guys on teams? You know what I mean? And, and you see those roster airs all over the place. Even in start two tight end leagues, you go through and you're like, wow, someone doesn't have Austin Allen on a team, but they're sitting here carrying, you know, Khalif Raymond leverage the position in the league. That's where you start. It's the same as what you said at the beginning of the show with the point per carry. So I think that's another thing. That is one of the biggest flaws in dynasty players when they're in these tight end premium leagues. They keep guys on waivers because they just can't imagine a picture of when they'll ever be relevant. Yet you look at their roster and you go, yeah, you're carrying the seventh receiver on the Ravens. Okay. (laughs) Just a waste of a spot. You know, or you're carrying the, the Lions receivers from last year, like Khalif Freeman, or you're still carrying... Uh, another one I saw somebody was still carrying Travis Fulgham. Like, yeah, sure. He's yeah. going to get on the field in Denver, right? Yeah. Probably not. So, I mean, just things like that where those are the very small wins. And I think tight ends especially, especially given the fact that they take – you could literally have a guy like Josh Oliver when he's 27, finally is ready to have a season where he contributes. Mm. And he would have been dropped a dozen times in that league. But you know what? Pick him up. I mean that 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 I think that's a that's a hole. 
when you're in these specific leagues. So 1.75, two PPR, and start two leagues with at least 1.5 premium or some sort of adjustment. Grind the tight end waiver wire. So I'll leave it at that. For sure. I agree with all that 100%. Like, I just, you see some of these guys on some of these teams, like all these Saints receivers, Traquan Smith, Marquez Callaway, those guys have had their shots, are probably most likely dead on our rosters. You know, me and you talk about it all the time, the roster cloggers. There's so many different roster clogger type players that are out there that just shouldn't be on your rosters anymore. And we got to get better at not having those types of players on our roster and go ahead and pick up these, you know, these backup tight ends that might have a shot or these backup running backs that might have a shot as well. Uh, Our last topic that I wanted to bring up here that, you know, I I also have, I struggle with this a little bit here and there. And that's the free agent players that are still out there um, in the real NFL. So I'm talking about Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, Cole Beasley, Will Fuller, Eric Ebron, Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, T.Y. Hilton, Emmanuel Sanders, Cam Newton, David Johnson, Jared Cook, Deshaun Jackson. You know, these types of players, some of those guys I can – pretty easily say, oh, well, they're dead, you know, just drop them and whatever. But some of them, you know, are a debate like, man, should I just keep them and kind of just wait and see? Maybe somebody picks them up here. And I am I was kind of hoping some of these guys would have signed by now, especially with, you know, there's a training camp that opens here in four days on the 18th. Um, you know, I'm surprised some of these guys haven't signed and got in early and got you know, into the playbooks, got to know their teammates. You know, a lot of these quarterbacks, you know, like Baker Mayfield's going out with his Carolina teammates now and throwing routes. You know, Russell Wilson's getting his Denver teammates together to go throw routes. And Zach Wilson just did it with the Jets players. Like you would want some of these receivers and tight ends to like sign so they can go do that with their teammates, but they haven't. But I just wanted to ask you, like, what are you doing? Obviously, Odell, you're probably holding on to. But what are you doing with, like, Julio and Beasley, Fuller, Ebron, and all those guys that I mentioned? Well, I saw this uh, when you mentioned we were going to bring this up. So I'll just go through literally. So Cole Beasley, I've cut. I don't think there's ever any merit to having him on a roster. He's officially a roster-clogging receiver. Even if he were to sign, like, back in Buffalo and Jamison Crowder was out for the year, I wouldn't want him on a roster. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, the same thing. He's a roster clogger. I really can't see a place where he would go, especially if he goes back to the Colts. I'm not interested. Uh, Largely, I'm not interested in receivers that have taken this long to sign, but I do acknowledge that Odell, Will Fuller, and Julio Jones, those three have enough name cachet that if you have them, you could probably flip them at a time, maybe if you hit the right spot for a third rounder in a league. Especially Odell, I think he's somebody that the community still kind of sees like if he were to show he's back on the field, you could get a third for him. The other two, I think it's a little more skeptical on those two, but there's enough to where if they went to the right spot at the right time, you could get something. So with receivers, I'm generally just out unless I say the name can get to a point where I can flip for a pick. Uh, And then some of the other ones, Manny Sanders, no, no chance. Deshaun Jackson, no chance. Antonio Brown, I've cut. I mean, he already said he's not going to play this year. He still hasn't had the surgery, apparently. So, like, he's not playing this year. Mm-hmm. So, I'll take my chances that even if, if he does, for some reason, come back at age 35 in 2023, you know how many waiver wires he's going to be on? 
Yeah. So like I'm gonna I, I can get my exposure to Antonio Brown back up in Dynasty literally to like 30% at the end of the year if I wanted for free. So there's just no reason to have him on a team right now, knowing he's not gonna play. Uh, so the other ones like Ebron, Gronk, Jared Cook, I think those are all players you could hold in the right tight end formats, like what I just talked about. Otherwise, nope, they're cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then usually I would say backup quarterbacks and running backs are the two positions I would consider that you can go from the street to an NFL depth chart that makes you worth a roster spot right away. Mm-hmm. But like David Johnson, I'm, I like every running back. Literally. I like any running back that can make a roster that that's my hashtag, right? Like any running back on a 53 man roster. I want, mm-hmm. I, I'm not even sure I want David Johnson. Okay. I mean, it's he's that far down to the point where he's probably available in leagues. And even if their rosters are expanded and it's 38-man rosters, there's probably other guys I still want over him. Mm-hmm. So to proactively stash him before we know he's even signing, and I think he's 32 now, he's been on four different teams. It, it just kind of feels like it's, it's just he's never coming back. Mm-hmm. So and maybe he will. I don't know. Uh, but that's one where I'm like, I'm not going that deep to hold. I would rather, you know, I would rather hold a player like Alex Collins because I think there's a chance he comes back and he played better more recently in the NFL than David Johnson. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, there's a chance he's basically the same. And he's, I think, in every single on every single waiver wire unless the person literally hasn't made cuts this year. So, right. yeah, I think the, that's how I would assess it. And generally the the backup running backs and the quarterbacks are the guys that can go from overnight to absolutely worthless to worth a roster spot. But yeah, David Johnson, no. And then Cam Newton, I've cut everywhere too. All right. So, I mean, I gave him another shot last year when he went back and yeah, after that I'm good. So yeah, the most of those names are if they sign tomorrow in the best spot you can think of, would anyone in your league give you a third? Right. And if you're sitting there going, oh, hell no, don't don't bother. That's the only angle. There's no angle of I'm picking up like Julio Jones and he should be in my lineup with the way we usually construct teams. Mm-hmm. The whole idea was there's another sucker that thinks he might be in his lineup and he'll give me a third for him. That's right. really the only angle. The angle isn't, oh, let me pick him up so I can maybe start him. No, that's not how I'm looking at these guys. Yeah, so like, you know, the rumors of Julio to Green Bay have been going on for a while or Julio to Indy and and links back up with Matt Ryan. Like if that happened tomorrow, you know, there could be a sucker that will give you a second, but probably a third round pick you can get for Julio as soon as he signs with them. I would think Will Fuller, if he signed with, you know, one of these pass happy teams, you could probably easily get like a third round pick, maybe a second round pick for one of those guys. Odell, I think you could probably still like trade Odell for a third round pick, even though he's not on the team right now. I think he has enough name cachet that somebody would give you a third round pick for him right now. And then the last one on that list that I I think still does have a little bit of value would be Cole Beasley. I know you just said you would drop him everywhere. I think there's a few spots where Beasley could go that really needs like that slot receiver where he could be useful. I think the one that I mention and bring up is Dallas. If he re-signed back with Dallas, especially with how they need wide receivers, I think Beasley could easily be that, you know, 50, 60 PPR type 
catch guy for for your Dallas this year, especially with Gallup probably not playing until midseason. You know, they have C.D. Lamb, and then they have Jalen Tolbert, who's a rookie. They don't really have anybody else after that. So if, like, Beasley signed there, which I think is a definite possibility if they look at their receiver core and training camp and say, oh, we need we need somebody, that could definitely be a guy. But, you know, probably those four, would you if they sign with the team, would you just sell them immediately, or would you hold any of those guys? Well, I was just going to say that this is why I love Eric, because this is probably like the 5 to 10% of the, the game that we differ on. So let's say Cole Beasley goes to Dallas and then Michael Gallup, they announce is going to be on pup. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he's going to start in the slot for the first four games, at least. Mm -hmm. All right. And we're in a 14 team start 12. Mm -hmm. You can start up the nine receivers. You give me a third for Beasley. For four weeks, I mean, I, I think he probably. No, no, the fact that you paused actually nullifies your argument right well, there because if, well, if you don't say I'm like, smashing, but but I just laid out the no, absolute like top five percent outcome for Cole Beasley, mm -hmm. and you still hesitated for like fifteen seconds of well, and, and I'm I'm not well, saying you, you're you brought up the the four game thing, and I I think when I was trying to say was I think Gallup would probably be out longer than that, but I would probably That's take your assessment. I'm saying if, if they say Gallup is starting on the pup, mm -hmm. you do your math on, I, I'm, I agree with you. I don't think Gallup comes back until like week nine or 10 at the earliest, right? But just the fact that you already know that, which means everything is being spoon fed to you, mm -hmm. you know, like right out of the baby food jar, everything's in front of you. You'd give the third for Beasley. If if literally I said, Eric, what is the best case scenario for Beasley over the next month? And it all happened. You'd give the third. Yes, because I okay. think I think in that specific situation, if it if it were to align and happen that way, I definitely think he could be, you know, a weekly wide receiver. Thirty six. He'd be in that realm because him and Dak have a little bit of chemistry. He knows that offense. So he's not like completely new to it. He did do decent with Dak before um, he left for Buffalo and he showed that he was a wide receiver three. Then now I know he's a couple years older, but I don't think he's his game. You know, the way he plays the game, he hasn't lost that step yet. Like he could still do the things that he normally does. I don't think last year was, you know, so bad, but they brought in Manny Sanders and Gabe Davis took a little bit of a step and Dawson Knox took a huge step. Like two years ago, Beasley had that monster year for Buffalo and everything just worked out because they didn't really have anybody else. But last year there was some more people that needed the ball. So Beasley took a step back, but I think with Dallas, you know, this, you know, situation came out and Beasley starting there in the slot for them. I don't see why he can't be a wide receiver 36. So I would probably try and do, Hey, I'll give you, um, you know, give me Beasley and a fourth round pick and I'll give you the third. Something like that. I would try. <laughs> so you're already nickel and diming and trying to negotiate on the most mundane trade possible. Hey, dynasty leverage. You got to get all that leverage. You can. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, I think, this exercise, people are going to be going, what the hell are you guys spending 10 minutes talking about Cole Beasley for a third if X, Y, and Z happens? But I, I think that scenario runs through our brains a lot more often than we think, given especially us that are in a lot of leagues. Like that kind of thing is constant throughout the season. Yeah. Every day, every day during training camp and during the preseason, this kind of stuff is coming up. 
And the idea for me goes back to the draft picks are finite assets. Mm. And every time I make a trade like that, I'm getting the side where the supply is a lot more scarce than what I'm giving away. Now, I then have to figure out a way, what do I want to do with those picks? I don't want to necessarily make five third round picks in a 14 team league because I'm picking, you know, in the late thirties, early forties of a draft. Mm -hmm. That's not optimal, but the idea is I've given myself, essentially I've put money away in an account that nobody can touch. Nobody can tax. Nobody can take away its value and I can spend it whenever I want. That's kind of the idea Mm -hmm. of that type of trade and where we differ. I'm like literally just total process when it comes to that. Whereas you're a little bit more of, okay, I I can tell myself a story. I'm willing to burn one of my thirds now. Mm -hmm. And it's probably makes it easier for you to do that because you're in like 40 leagues. It probably makes it easier for you to make that move only in the ones where you think Beasley would matter. So you're probably not doing that in a 12 team start 10 point per carry league, right? Yeah. Nope. And you're probably also maybe targeting specific leagues where A, you might need him or think you might need him. B, you might do it in leagues where you have three third round picks mm-hmm. and you can trade away one that like you can trade away your own third that you think is going to be like a dead ass last first or third. Mm-hmm. And you keep the, you know, the, the guy who's clueless, you keep his 301. You know what I mean? Whereas if you only had one and I said, hey, it's got to be a third for Beasley. You probably wouldn't, you'd probably look at that 301 and go, uh, I don't want to move it right now, you know? Right. So you would be able to pick your spots in the fact that you have 40 leagues. There might be only two or three that you would even consider trading for Cole Beasley. And you're actually gaining some value amongst your portfolio there by going to those like three leagues and trying to get him. Right. So I think that's where some of this strategy comes in. And we'll get into more portfolio strategy and stuff too. But I think that's kind of how you have to dissect that deal. And the beauty of it is there's like, 50 deals like that that come across during the preseason and during the the training camp time. It's constantly, Hey, would you give a third for this backup running back? Would you give a third for, you know, this rookie that just popped like that discussion is just prevalent over the next two months. So I'm, I'm here for it. I'm excited for it. Yeah, me too. And that's not the first rabbit hole that me and Scott will go down of Cole Beasley or any other player and we have like a random 15 minute discussion on that one player and everyone's like what the hell why are you guys talking about Cole Beasley that will not be the first time that happens so that's just the first of many but the last thing I want to bring up before we end here I wanted to like do a little bit of a segment kind of here at the end of the shows and it's called your favorite so it could be any topic it could be football related any other sport related or just anything in life Related, So I'm just going to pick something every week that we can talk about and you guys as listeners can get to know me and Scott a little bit better about things that we like, what our favorites are on certain things. And it might, you know, create some discussion on Twitter and whatnot between people. Hey, maybe you guys would have the same kind of common interest that me and Scott have. So I think this is a cool little, just little small segment idea that we could do every week. So this week I chose, what's your favorite football team? So Scott, tell us who your favorite football team is. Who do you follow? Well, we'll we'll keep it basic. I mean, everyone knows I'm a Bengals fan. So last year was pretty special. And, you know, one thing you get by growing up a Bengals fan, I went to my first Bengals game in 1987. 
So I'm aging myself a little bit, but that just shows that that was like the first memory I have. Well, Sierra's boring. (laughs) Yeah, well, and you you start forming memories, I believe, around like two, two, three years old. So you can do the math. I mean, I believe I was like three and a half when I went to my first game. Uh, But you learn as being a Bengals fan that you you just kind of always expect the wall to crumble and your your yard to be unprotected. Like you just always feel like the gust of wind is going to come through and like blow your fence down and you have to rebuild it. So that's kind of where I'm at. Like last year was great. Everything looks pretty promising. You know, you, there's been a lot of things that this organization has done over the last couple of years. They've totally changed the way that they interact with fans and their social media. Like they have a team hall of fame. Now they really engage a lot better from like a public relations standpoint. I mean, generally it used to be like it, the Bengals were like a, they were a pariah to the city. You know, they were right. like half the people in the city were like, they're a joke. We hate the Bengals. And it's like, dude, you live right. in Cincinnati. Uh, but it's, it's changed. Like the image of the team, the ownership has, it hasn't really changed, but it's moved down to like Mike Brown's daughter. And then now her kids mm-hmm. are the ones that are a lot more involved in like the PR aspect of the team. Mm-hmm. And generally they've gone from like a, a franchise that everyone just shits on to now. I, I generally think like a lot of people in the league kind of like them. They kind of like, like their limit image and what they stand for. You know, it's kind of like rooting for David in a fight in a way. Right. Um, but I kind of just always feel like there's it, how long does that last? You know what I mean? And like the NFL is a cyclical game. So there's always going to be like ups and downs with most organizations so that's kind of where I'm at now. Like I'm super excited. I'm ready to take on the next couple of years with like, let's bring it on. You know, I think we have a, we're one of like a legitimate, like 12 teams that have a chance every year to win. But I also acknowledge that it's really hard to win. And so like, I'm still trying to step back and just enjoy, enjoy like, you know, the era of players that we have and whatever happens on the field happens. And that's kind of why we probably play dynasty too. Cause the, the tilt of your own team I mean, I learned a long time ago to get into gambling and fantasy sports because I tilled on my team to a point where, like, it affects my day. You know, I'm depressed for a whole week when they lose. Right now, yeah. I, don't, I don't have time. To, I don't have time for that anymore. They lose, you move on. Like we're thinking dynasty that night. You know what I mean? The the, the night when after they lose. So that, that's where I'm at. Bengals fan. I'm sure I'll bring up the Bengals like a million more times, but uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird feeling. And if you're a fan of one of like a dozen franchises in the league and Eric's a fan of one of them. You, you kind of can relate to the feeling. Right. And they, they brought in the white helmets. I don't know if you saw that today. They're bringing in the white bangle. I, I love those. The all whites with the white. I mean, yeah. those are like Bengal tiger has always been my favorite animal going back to when I was a little kid, probably cause I'm a Bengals fan, but I always liked the white, the white Bengal tigers. So mm. that, that was awesome to see those helmets. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see those because I've seen like people's Twitter mockups of them of cut you know took out the orange helmet and put the white in and it looks really sharp so I am pretty excited to see that especially with those cool new uniforms that they have. But my team, I've been a you know a Cleveland Browns fan pretty much my whole life as well. You know there was a time there early on where you know I'm growing up I'm I'm loving football as a kid. 
you know, early 90s, I was just like any kid. I'm just liking whoever wins. I don't know any better. So I'm liking the Cowboys because they won three straight there in the 90s. I got, you know, then I fell in love with Brett Favre and loved the way that Brett Favre played. But, you know, that's 96, 97-ish. And then cutting into like 99, that's when the Browns are starting to come back. So 98, um, I watched a lot of college that year. And... You know, I'm that's the year of uh, Donovan McNabb's coming in, Tim Couch, Achilles Smith, all these guys were coming in from uh, college that year. And I fell in love with Donovan McNabb at Syracuse. He was just electric to watch. He was Michael Vick before Michael Vick. And I really wanted the Cleveland Browns to take Donovan McNabb that year, and they didn't. And McNabb went number two overall, or uh, number three overall, I'm sorry, to the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, so I became an Eagles fan based off of that. I was pretty much more of a McNabb fan than I was an Eagles fan, but I grew to love that team. And they had that big run with, with McNabb in the early two thousands. And I absolutely was a diehard Eagles fan, but I also had an AFC team and, and that was the Browns. And that's who I really follow now. I mean, I still like the Eagles and whatnot. I follow them here and there, but I probably would have said I was more of a McNabb fan and, and a couple other players fans. But right now, definitely a Cleveland Browns fan. It, obviously, it's been rough for years and years and years. You know, up until Baker Mayfield came along, I would tell you the best quarterback we've had since 99 was Kelly frickin' Holcomb. And probably there's some people out here who's like, who the hell's that? So, you know, with the Browns, it's definitely been just a, such a rough road. You know, they finally started to get going there in like 2006 with the special Derek Anderson year. They had that one really special year. That was fun. You know, that only lasted one season. We get up to now with, with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, you know, looks like promising for us. Looks like he's going to get it going. And then things happen, obviously. Now we, we got Deshaun Watson and all that. But I'm, I'm excited for what the Browns are doing. They finally, I think, got a real franchise quarterback. They got, a, you know, a guy that's hopefully going to lead this team to the promised land. We got you know, a good head coach. I think we have finally have that really solid head coach. That's one of the things they've lacked for pretty much the entire time that they've been back. They haven't had that one head coach that knew what the hell he was doing and was a leader. And I think Stefanski's that. They finally drafted really well the last couple years. They, you know, they're not trading their draft picks and, you know, there, there's certain drafts I go back and look and I'm like, oh, why didn't they have, they didn't pick till the fourth round or fourth round is their first player. And like, you wonder why this team was always so bad. So I'm excited for the Browns and, and hoping, you know, they can get here in the AFC, but with this AFC is absolutely stacked. You just mentioned your Bengals. I got to deal with Burrow twice a year. I got to deal with probably Lamar twice a year as long as he resigns. And then obviously you got Mahomes, you got Herbert, you got Derek Carr, Russell Wilson now, Mac Jones. You got all these guys in the AFC. So it's going to be fun. And it's always fun between me and you, between Bengals and Browns. We don't talk that much trash um, just because it probably hasn't ever been relevant for us like both of our teams sucked or your team was good and mine was and the browns have always been shitty so like there wasn't really any like bragging or anything like that but lately we've had a couple you know talk a little trash here and there maybe but you know that's that's where i'm at i'm a browns fan 
uh, excited for the future uh, with the Browns. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned uh, we could do a whole – maybe we'll hit that on a future episode of all of the uh, pockets of time where Eric was a, a absolute, like, hardcore Homer Fairweather fan for, like, random teams. Mm-hmm. Like, you were the biggest Marlins fan there for a while. It's like yep. the fucking Marlins. Yep. I remember how much you used to love the Marlins, and that lasted about, you know, six I, months. I, and, that, and that was a, just a player thing because Dontrell Willis was the was the it thing. I loved Dontrell Willis. I loved his game, his swag. Miguel Cabrera was coming in and just – he was basically starting out. He was a stud. They had Mike Lowell. Mike Lowell was an awesome third baseman. Josh Beckett, I absolutely loved, even though he got hurt every single year. They had A.J. Burnett, Brad Penny. I, I can keep going on with that team, too. They had a lot of fun players. Yeah, it's just it, it's fun to go back and rehash some of the – and it's I think it's honestly I can name a couple in, like, every sport yeah. where you're like, this is my team, and I's like, oh, so – Eric's got a new screen name now. It's like Eric Marlins fan or, <laughs> yeah. you know, Eric Eagles fan or whatever it is. So, yeah, we yeah. could probably rehash that in the future. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to some Browns Bengals uh, trash talk. You know, it's I think one of the biggest things with the Browns for I remember is not them trading away draft picks, but just blowing draft picks. I mean, right. you know, Justin Gilbert and Brandon Whedon and Johnny Manziel, you know. Brady Quinn, like that, that th- those those picks where you're just like, man, what were we doing? You know, yeah. like that. Those are the ones I look back and I'm just like, yeah, if the Browns would have just hit on, you know, a couple of those guys. Yeah, they, like the the 2014 draft, like you mentioned, there was like, I think we, me and uh, Ray and and some of the Discord guys went back and looked at some of the old drafts months ago, and we looked at 2014 and like. 22 of the like the first rounders all were like pro bowlers are really good players and like two the two of them that were missed were both browns picks and like everyone else on that first round was like an absolute like really good player so it's like so mind-boggling at times yeah good stuff well i think we've uh we've hit a a lot in this first episode so time to sign off i guess yeah, for sure. Go ahead and, and tell them where they can follow you. You know, tell them about your Patreon a little bit as well. Yeah, well, first of all, you know, this is a this is definitely a learning thing for Eric uh, hosting his first show. So I'm glad to be here. Uh, always here to support you, be your co-host for most of the shows on here. Uh, and most people know me from Dynasty and Chill uh, at Charles Chill FFB hashtag Dynasty Leverage uh, Dynasty and Chill. Um you know, in the discord every once in a while, like I'm in a lot of different discord groups and a lot of different group me's and whatnot, but yeah, that's where you can find me. And, uh, we do have a Patreon, like Eric said, and there's a lot of people from destination Debbie Patreon that were, that are also in mine as well. Uh, so yeah, it's dynasty and chill or patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. So check it out. Yeah, and I appreciate you joining me on this. It, it definitely was uh, fun. You know, me, me and you have good chemistry back and forth, so it's always good. Um, looking forward to the rest of our shows. But I also, I finally joined Twitter again. I absolutely hate Twitter, but I joined it again. I'm at Eric Vanek NFL. You can find me on there. Follow me on there. And I also made a Twitter for the show. It's at America's Game Pod. You can find us on there as well. But thank you everybody for this made in voyage of ours first episode in the books i had a hell of a time with you scott man so it's it's been great but we're gonna sign out